Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash why it works. Here with us today is Lecky Harrison. Lecky is a resilience builder, toolbox trainer, and studies and teaches Krav Maga. He is healed from developmental trauma and PTSD and is a retired firefighter slash EMT. We speak to Lecky from his home on an island in the Pacific Northwest. This episode covers mental health issues and traumatic scenarios that may be sensitive or painful. If you don't want to hear such content, please consider a different episode. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified mental health provider regarding a medical condition or mental disorder. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast or any other podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Again, if you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Welcome, Lecky, to the Why Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Joe. I know you were a firefighter for a while, and I was so curious. What is that experience like when you're heading into a fire or some other dangerous situation when, when others are counting on you? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a huge adrenaline rush. And it, there's a moment when it's difficult. You, you find yourself asking yourself, you know, do I have all this stuff memorized I need to know? I mean, part of it is, you know, we learn to train and we, we repeat these trainings because the goal is to make it an instinct, uh, to not have to remember it because you don't necessarily have any amount of time with which to do things. Of course, you assess that in, you know, while you're there. Right. Uh, it's, but, you know, when you walk into a fire and you see these big flames, you, you know, it's like, okay, I, we're the only ones in this building, so this is, whoa, <laughs> it's quite exciting. Um, car wrecks are a little different when people are really in a lot of pain. And that's where, you know, you just go back to the band. The first time I ever did CPR, I, I just drew a complete blank. And then I remember my CPR teacher saying A, B, C, which is airway, breathing, and um, circulation. Mm. And so I was like, well, okay, that jarred me out of it and everything flowed from there. But that's, you know, it's a, an adrenaline rush and that feeling of, whoa, do I, do I have all the things here that, and part of it then is just operating on, okay, well, fire needs water. <laughs> you got a hose, put water on it. You know, if they, if the person in a car accident, if they need to be extricated, well, you have to come up with a plan. But the first thing you want to do is make that patient feel safe to some degree. Right. Anyway, that's, that's what happens when you get to these scenes. 
Yeah, what I find so interesting about that, I'm, I'm probably going to uh, not exactly get this quote right, but to paraphrase, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. That's why, especially for those positions, you just train and train and train because, you know, that's what you, you, you rely on at the end of the day. And I know, you know, if we touch on it later, but that's one thing we emphasize in our Krav Maga class. Oh, great. All right. Look forward to it. Struggling with stuff. I mean, it's the first thing, you know, that's the thing, you know, the, they give you a hose and they say, spray it in that window. And, you know, she waters all over the window. You know, you, the, the, you know okay, they're looking at you saying, they'll get used to this. It's because it takes time to get the body feel. It takes time to learn how to control the hose. It's like anything else. It becomes, it, you repeat it until it becomes instinct. And yes. on the training side, it's a little bit different. And I get to see all these new people come in with new, with no skills whatsoever and say, Oh, relax. I mean, it, this is your first night. It's not a race, you know, just, just relax and get into it and do your best. So awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Let's get to know you a little better. Tell All us right. what you do, but break it down as if you were explaining it to a five-year-old. Okay, primarily what I do is I teach people how they can, I teach people how to use tools, different tools, so that when they start getting really scared or really confused, how to not be so scared or to not be so confused. Ah, oh, that's great. You know, for an adult, I would say I just show people how to downregulate the stress response. The mm-hmm. kid's not in it, you know, so, okay, you get scared. You, you feel like fighting. You feel like running or you're just scared and you freeze. <sighs> how can you make that a little bit less? Great. Love that explanation. So, Lecky, I am so happy that you're here with us today, and let me explain why. We connected over uh, our different sort of articles and our mutual love of martial arts. Uh, you extended an invitation for me to connect uh, over Zoom, and, you know, you were actually my first Zoom video conference, and we, and we had a great, you know, conversation about, you know, what you do and, and the healing and martial arts. And... I was so impressed by, you know, how open and kind you are. And I'm just really glad to learn a little bit more uh, about what you do and to share that with our audience. How has, <laughs> how has martial arts and your healing work connected and informed each other? Oh, wow. Okay. One of the things that, um, what, what happens when people experience trauma and their response to it is to get locked in, is, it gets locked into their, their bodies, is it creates a disintegration. Between, and so even and to some extent, a lot of people aren't embodied, but it, that makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. And they have, and if you could, I, and I guess a good way that people of us who have suffered from uh, PTSD tend to say it is, it's like living a third-person life. Explain that. What does that mean? Um, it's like watching a movie of yourself. Oh. So you're outside almost looking at yourself, what you're experiencing? Because you're not integrated physically. You're not integrated emotionally. 
there's, and the emotions and the thoughts aren't connected, nothing. In, I mean, in real severe cases, it really gets to be ugly. And so <clears throat> what happened for me is as I started to, to heal, I started to reintegrate. And all of that resides in a body for every human. <clears throat> and so at a certain point in time then, I just, and I, with anxiety, there's a lot of this, I call it a buzz. I mean, okay. you, ever, you ever stick a 9-volt battery on your tongue? I mean, I, just, <laughs> I can neither this. confirm nor deny the 9-volt battery. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, too late for me. <laughs> you know, that's how I was taught to check whether things got a charge or not. You know? <laughs> Whoa! Well, that's kind of that feeling, and it's with anxiety, it's, uh, uh, you know, your heart's pounding, you're breathing fast. You've got this thing kind of going on, and it's horribly uncomfortable. Yeah. And sometimes getting up and moving helps burn off some of that. And so in the early stages of healing, I would, I would, I would just start walking or moving around, and, yeah, okay, to a certain extent that did work, and yeah, sometimes not so much. But as I continued to heal, my body then wanted to heal as well. And so I had to pay attention to that and started walking regularly. And then I was walking faster, and I finally realized that what my body wanted was cardiovascular. Okay. And that's what got me down to the local taekwondo, uh, Armstrong's Taekwondo down here in town. Um, excuse me. And so and I went there for Krav Maga. And what ended up happening, and as – as it's interesting, I didn't know much about what was going to happen at the time, but as I got into it, it, it dealt with my ability to connect with others, which is a, a, one of the healing aspects that get, suffers from disintegration. Um, it's learning to be with others. It's learning how to be in my own body. It's a matter of confidence, and it, it was always one of those because as you heal, my experience has been as you heal, you end up with these moments of choice. And you can always choose to not experience self-confidence, or you can make the choice and feel awkward and, and learn and put yourself in that vulnerable spot. And so that's what I did. And as I came to, and then over the last couple years, as I've progressed through this particular program, and as I've continued to work on our own toolbox at Raise Your Resilience, one of the things I've discovered is that movement is very, very good for the brain. It's good for creating new neural networks. And one of the, one of the studies I found talks about rough and tumble play. And, mm -hmm. that's, and kids do that. If you just let them play, they'll get outside and then they'll wrestle and horse around. Sure. They're, you know, and playing tag and doing other kinds of stuff like that. And that's what that does for them is it, it increases their ability for social connection. It increases, well, it starts to increase the, the brain matter. And it's that aerobic aspect that helps build that. And so what I've got going on then in our particular class, because Krav Maga has got no forms or anything like that, that it's up close and personal self-defense. Mm -hmm. we're, we're capturing that rough and tumble stuff. And I'm really, really excited to see how some of this stuff moves along. And now that I'm teaching it, one of the elements I've added is, is part of the reason people show up in class is because somewhere somebody touched them without permission, whether that was bullying 
or for women, whether they were assaulted in some way, shape, or form. So when I'm in class, I don't touch anybody without permission. Right. And sometimes I'll ask that at the beginning of class and just say, if you have problems, let me know. You know, I will ask you if I can touch you. If you're, I mean, you can just say, don't ask, and I won't ask. But, and it's never, you know, some of the stuff, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty rough. It can get there. <clears throat> and I'm, but what I want them to know is that there is a place here in this room, despite what we're doing, where they can, their discomfort is welcome as well as their, their body and their wanting to learn. And I will make space for that because I had to do it for myself. Mm -hmm. I had to find not only where my physical limits were because finding my body was at a place where I could actually move. I could get beyond just walking. I mean, and that was a journey within itself. So I recognize in looking back that that was part of my journey. And that's going to be the journey of quite a few people in the classroom because some of them, they come in and they're not, you know, I'm sorry, these are not gym visitors. No. These are they're out of shape and they want to be fit and they want to learn self-defense. And I can say, excellent. I don't care what shape you're in. I will allow you to self-regulate. You take your time. And that's all a part of healing work because healing work takes self-regulation. It takes being able to honor who you are and where you're at at the moment. If you're in a room and it's crowded and it's starting to get to you, get out of the room. Because that's honoring yourself. And when it comes to living your life, if you don't do that, you're not going to live your life. Somebody else is. So live your life. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Because if that comes first, you will be able to grow. And if it doesn't come first, you won't grow. So I've seen these things dovetail together. And it's been really exciting. What I find so wonderful about what I'm hearing from you is it really acknowledges the combination between like the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect and your physical body, right? It's, it's, it's the whole person. It's, you can't really say, oh, it's, it's just part of you we're going to work on and that's it. And, and, and I really believe that too. I, I love how your practice and what you're studying leads into that. Let's take a look at this scene from SEAL Team, where I think his name is Jason, is at a restaurant when things start to go south. Yeah, they do. Number 67. Okay. And in international news, Alan Cutter, controversial president of Xeon Tactical, has been arrested. Cutter and several members of his staff were taken into custody in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Thank you. He's just back from Iraq. Afghanistan. I'm sorry, kid. I'm sorry. I really tried to help you. I wanted to save you. I, I didn't. Jason? Who are you talking to? 
Jason, are you okay? Uh, okay. No. Okay. It's okay. No. It's okay. I'm just happened here cool boy <clears throat> well first off let me say that there are probably a lot of vets who go through this several times a day if not at least once and there's a whole see I mean notice that he still had wounds on his face I mean the guy had come back from a, a deployment and so here's part of your issue a He's in one part of the world one day where people are shooting at him and all the rest of that stuff, and boom, he makes an instant culture shift to some restaurant in California or wherever he's stationed. I'm going to presume California. <clears throat> and that kind of adjustment's really hard to make. And so <laughs> while he's sitting there, I mean, I, I can't exclude the fact that he might have traumatic brain injury from his particular uh, experience. At the very minimum, though, what ends up happening is he hears the name Cutter, and that's a guy that, and that brings him back to his place back there in Afghanistan. And from there, you saw the bell ring on the door, and it hurts his ears because his senses are so jangled. Mm -hmm. And then he turns and he sees this kid, and then you see the replay of, of what happened relative to that child. <clears throat> and... All of that, all of those are triggers because all of this stuff is still rattling around inside his body. The symptoms of it, are the psychological stuff, those are symptomatic because the stress response is primarily a physical response. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening is, is he never, he thinks he processes it because he does it all cognitively. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're all good. But Bessel van der Kolk would be the first one to say there's nothing cognitive about trauma. <laughs> it becomes a psychological symptom, but it's primary. It's in your body. So all of the stuff, which he's not acknowledging at all, is building up in him. And, of course, that was a very, very rough time. He's got home issues that he left and was dealing with while he was over there. And then he comes back and this – this well wants to find a way out. And pretty soon what ends up happening, and this is why we have a lot of homeless vets here in, in Washington, we have a lot of them who live over on the peninsula in tents out in the woods. And the reason they do is if you had to go through that in public, how willing would you be to be in public? Yeah. going to do that. You know, you can be out in the woods. You're not going to have the bell. You're not going to have Cutter's name. You may or may not see the child. But even if you do, all you do is roll with it and suffer and cry and do whatever they do. But they're not going to hurt anybody. They're not going to knock over any tables. They're living out in the woods because they have to isolate themselves. And this is what you call post-traumatic stress disorder. They, all this crap is inside. It's the, the memories aren't processed, so they're not in the right spot in the brain. And 
to them, it's just like having it happen again. It's a traumatic experience again and again because the body wants to heal. It'll, it wants to do that on its own, but it has to have the right mechanism to do that, the right avenue to do that. And, you know, okay, so we, like the woman, you know, you're at home, you're okay. Well, no, you're not okay. You're not, I wouldn't say you're a psychopath, but you're not okay. Right. You need to get this stuff out of your body. Then you'll be okay. What's really interesting what you're saying to me is I wouldn't have initially thought that, you know, maybe people are removing themselves to deal with that in, in, in that way, right? To really both lower their threshold and then also to avoid damaging other people around them, loved ones, or even just the general public. Like that's a response. In their mind, it makes sense, right? This is the best way for me to deal with it is to to remove myself from what other people would think is a loving, supportive environment, but to them, in a way, it could almost seem like torture. Sure. It's exactly what it is. <clears throat> and there, you know, everything, you know, at a certain point in time, everything then becomes static. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, because, you know, you got the TV going on, you got the bell ringing, you got people talking. Did you see how, I mean, I don't know if you noticed it, but the sound of that particular clip, the sound everything just keeps repeating and building and it's suddenly that's what it's like in your head it's wow. like oh, oh this is way too much and then somebody says jason or somebody calls my name and says lucky and i just go what because wow. i can't handle any more of what's going on he yeah. didn't do that but i've seen that happen i've done that right because, right oh this is too much static i need to get out of here and you know, he, he didn't, he was, you know, he just looked at her and answered the question. And I mean, and I, I thought actually in some ways they handled that well. And part of the, one of the others, one of his buddies in the earlier part of that particulars, he gets what the Texan guy with the big beard. When he gets home, he lives by himself and he sits down, the TV's on and they just kind of fade the scene because you can, what they do with the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, I want to say cinematography, but with television, it's a different word. But with the, the camera work, they start to show this guy pulling in. And even sitting there in his house by himself, you can tell he still needs to protect himself. And it's just like, wow, this episode was phenomenal in regards wow. to showing how people respond to this. They're all full of the macho stuff when they're out in the field, but boy, you get, once they're alone, uh-uh, baby. That's amazing. Let's take a look at a similar but different manifestation. Okay. Last year, the director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention presented research demonstrating that youth living in inner cities show a higher prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder than soldiers. The report estimates that 30% of young people living in urban combat zones suffer from some form of PTSD. When a reporter mentioned this to Kendrick Lamar, he nodded and said, that's real. Recently, he was making the video for his new single, All Right, when he was startled by a loud bang. In a split second, the successful 28-year-old rapper disappeared, and the worried teenager from the streets of Compton, California, resurfaced. He said, 
I don't know if somebody threw a rock at a trash can or what, but it made a loud popping sound, and everybody who was in the car with me ducked. He said the instinct to get out of the way when you hear a popping sound, that's real for me. I'm sure it's real for a lot of artists who grew up in neighborhoods like that. What are your thoughts, Lecky? Well, there's a similarity there. He was triggered. He was triggered by a sound, just like we saw in the first clip. And it, for them, it could be a whole host of different sounds. The sound of car back. I mean, whatever sounds you're going to have in that urban area. But the thing is, it's still the same. You know, the stress response is to a different set of stimuli that you have in an urban area. I mean, strangely, there's gunfire, but they still have a set of stimuli that create stress, one of being, and a huge one, being poverty. Mm. Nobody discusses that much. It's not necessarily the drugs. They take the drugs because life sucks. Excuse my French. Okay, and then they get into the gang things because they have no inner agency. They have no power. God only knows where mom or dad were, but to the extent that they neglect them, these kids grow up with, with a, a system that's already dysregulated. It's not functioning correctly. Their needs aren't being met. So they get into school. They get into drugs because, by God, by then, the pain is too much. They're, and then they're into the gangs, and they're using weapons and stuff like that. And it becomes the only life they know. It becomes their family. In terms of being a trauma response, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. because these kids have, and then for a guy like Kendrick he pulls out of that to some extent and all it took was one sound to bring him back yeah which tells me that the trigger there's an old saying if somebody gets your goat that means you got a goat to get <laughs> and that's the point here he still has that trigger because yeah. it's still in there yeah and even if they're trying to make a great way and they tend to get into school or maybe they go to college, they still grew up in poverty. And that creates a whole different, I mean, it's still, it's still the same subset of or, um, stress response because now you're always thinking about where's my next meal going to be? Or you end up with weird relationships around food and so forth and so on. And so for them, even though they become adults, they tend to not look at what that's done to the footprint of their life. Yeah. But at the same, I mean, and I, I mean, PTSD is pretty much called PTSD. And over the years, I think they've parsed a few of those things out and said, well, this might be more anxiety oriented or things like that. Yeah. Some form of PTSD. It's, it's just a flat out disorder. It's your stress system not working right. And pretty soon it comes back to the brain. And the brain doesn't work right because what happens is in, under the stress response, the prefrontal cortex somewhat, for the most part, goes offline. Mm-hmm. And if this goes offline, you're living off your emotions and your nervous or your brainstem response. And he, then people get testy and with each other. You even see this in normal stress responses when, you know, husband and wife are both working and, you know, coming home late and somebody says, well, pass me the butter and, wow, dad freaks out. And it's Were like, you talking to my wife, Lecky? <laughs> that's the point is that that stuff begins to happen because it's – it's rare that people catch the stress response 
when it happens. Yeah, you're you're in it. You don't even realize it's going on. Exactly. You're just in and the then, middle of it. The, when they do say I'm stressed out, it's because it's now starting to have a physical impact on mm. your ability to function normally. Mm. That's usually months down the road. It takes working with it to begin to feel it when it happens. Yeah, yeah. And so in that, in that urban area, you're growing up with constant, you know, I mean, the, I'm sure the ugliest scenario would be mom and dad. Well, dad's gone. Mom's in the dope or hooking herself or both. She's not providing food. So the kid's always hungry. He's trying to go to school. Mom's there kind of a little bit. So the needs are neglected. And I don't know what percentage of the population that paints, but if it's any, that's too many. Yeah. And even if they're trying, mom and dad, even if dad is there, even if, if he's not, you got a lot of single moms who are trying to make their way, bless their hearts, they're working their butts off, and it's just not enough. But because they're doing that, their children don't have mom home. So they're learning on the streets. Mom's freaking out because they're learning stuff on the street, and then mom comes home and says, I don't want you doing that. And, you know, wow, I'm sorry, that's nothing but stress on stress. Yeah, but that, yeah. that's the urban scene for millions of people. And like you said, just one is too many, really. Yep. Um, let's take a look at this next clip, which I know you have a bit of firsthand knowledge of, uh, which is uh, covering the experience of firefighters and rescue workers. It's a video to shine a light on the mental health problems experienced by firefighters. More than half seek professional help and one in four say they've contemplated suicide. The firefighters charity video centers on Roger, a retired officer diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. He told me he was only a few weeks into retirement when he suddenly realized he had a problem. He sat in the pool having a few drinks and just from nowhere, totally unexpected, I burst into tears uncontrollably and every dead person I'd ever dealt with came by in a film show past my eyes. It was like I was sat in a theatre on my own. I couldn't even, for that time, tell you I was still sat in the pub. And when you have the really bad dips, for me it just felt like you were falling into a sort of a massive black hole. And I kind of knew if I got to the bottom of the hole that was suicide. And if I got maybe a... a and maybe if I got like a third of the way from the bottom, that might be more self-harm. Like my kids and my wife sometimes say, it'd be nice to have my dad back or my husband back. And they may never get that person back. The charity says scenes like this after the Grenfell Tower fire highlight the psychological impact officers face and that it's important no one suffers in silence. They very much see themselves as rescuers of other people. Um, and sometimes because they see themselves as rescuers, they don't feel the need for themselves to be rescued. Um, so that's a challenge for us in terms of working for them to try and enable them to actually see that sometimes um, it's OK to feel um, sadness about some of the things that you've seen. And in cases like Grenfell, where so many lives were lost, Roger's concerned some officers may wrongly feel a sense of guilt. One thing firemen, firefighters don't want to do is fail and if you feel like you failed then that's really sticks with you know sticks in you for a long time 
Roger is getting help from the charity and counselling and recently got this tattoo, which he says sums everything up. Peter Lane, 5 News. So, Lecky, what did you see here? <laughs> well, it's very, very similar to my own experience. A um, couple of things that I, 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 that's powerful with this guy is that, did you see the spot where he choked up? Yeah. Again, that's because it's inside of him. And when he pulls up his arm and, you know, he's got his tattoo there, he wants his head to forget what his eyes have seen. And the reason his head can't forget it is because it's not in the proper memory. We have at least two different memories. Okay. One of them, one of them is what they call implicit or um, procedural, and the other is explicit or declarative. So okay. the things that we learn that we don't forget are what they call the implicit memories, riding a bike. Okay, if you had to think about breathing, all those kinds of things, wow, that would really, the brain just does it automatically. Declarative memory says, this is what I had for lunch last Wednesday. And with trauma, what ends up happening is these memories end up in the implicit part of the brain where they don't belong, as opposed to the declarative where they do belong. The reason that happens is there's that locking in there's a huge impact, and I, I can't fathom what Grandpa was like. Mm-hmm. That, holy moly. As responders, we saw stuff that we don't think any – we see the vulgarity of life. It's just a brutal part of the job that we do. And so that affects the entire body. I mean, the minute the pager goes off, you've already started the stress response system. Then we go get to view the vulgarity, and all of that stuff is added to the stress response in terms of the emotion, the cognition. It's physical already, and all of that needs to be released. It needs to be discharged. So I can really – and when I crash and burn, as it were – um, it was a, 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 a young girl's car accident that was my, the final straw that broke my back. Wow. And what ended up happening was, is, you know, it had, I had right on the scene, so it wasn't like I was retired or anything. But I got through the scene, you know, broke down crying on the chief's car, and then got called another call, uh, which was another dead person. And I, I walked out. I just said, you um, there were other guys, people there, and I just walked. I just said, nope, not doing this. Goodbye. And I left. And then for a couple of weeks, I was just like this guy. Didn't matter where I was, what I was doing. Suddenly, I just knew the tears were coming, and I had to go find some place to not be public. Wow. <laughs> and so I was in a coffee shop, and so I snuck into the back room, and I broke down, and the communications director walked in and said, you know, are you okay? And so, you know, I told her what happened. She kind of had a small community. She already knew. And so she said, well, who takes care of you guys? And that's what started our nonprofit here because I had to say, well, you're looking at, we don't have much because this guy's a paid firefighter. In the U.S., 80% of us aren't. Right. So we don't have human resource departments. We don't have employee assistance programs. We don't have unions. We got nothing. Wow. 
So, you know, you find the back room and you, and at a certain point, if your PTSD starts becoming bad, you quit going to drills, you quit going to training, you finally just quit because you can't handle it. And um, ran into the, this just the other, last week I ran into the wife of a former colleague and she said, he, he just started seeing all the people he's ever, he just, the memories started coming. He just couldn't handle them, so he had to get out. And one of the things, one of the tools that we teach people is a tremoring mechanism. When I first learned it was the only time that I had what that guy had and seeing every dead person that I'd ever worked with in the field. And the guy who was teaching me, thankfully, was it was the guy who created this mechanism or this this method of using it. Okay. And and what he did, he stood there by me, and I don't know, I don't know what he was seeing. I, it wasn't particularly emotional that I remember a little bit, but not, I mean, it, it, for what I was, I, I was kind of like, wow, I haven't thought, whoa, really that? Oh God, yeah. It was just like, man. That's and it, it had no significance to me at the time. That's the weird thing because I was just beginning this healing process. Had no idea. So, but yeah, I can relate to what that guy went through because that's whoa, that's that happened. You know what strikes me so much about what you're saying and your kind of analysis of of these different scenarios is, and don't please don't take this word the wrong way. There's there's something very normal about the way people are experiencing this, right? Like you have this traumatic event, something that's just too much for you. And then, you know, after that, you're out of that and you're in some other scenario and there's different stimuli coming. And people are all kind of experiencing this the same way. It's kind of the way human beings can be expected to to respond to that. It's not like there's anything wrong with them. It's, it's really just the way we're built, right? I mean, how could you not respond this way? Like as we talk more about this. Exactly. It's exactly right. In some regards, that's part of the, I mean, there's a stigma around mental health and with PTSD. Part of that is, is you know, what we're going through is normal. I mean, mm-hmm. PTSD is the normal reaction to stress that doesn't get discharged. Yeah. Perfectly normal. This is what happens when you got too much stuff. So, yeah, and stress is very, very normal. We're we're wired to handle it. We are not necessarily wired to contain it and to hold it and to let it get locked in. And in our workshops, we we have a, a little historical review, as it were, because really, what's changed is not humans. We've had the same nervous system for possibly half a million years. Okay. What's changed is the world around us. And for hundreds and thousands of years, it was the same world. And then our issues were lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And then we invented agriculture. And then with agriculture, we decided, oh, we need to stay around the agriculture to take advantage of it. So people started to live together in clans. And then somewhere down the pike, somebody realized, well, they have food. So we either go live with them or we go take it from them. And there's your first conflict. And so 
and that was 12,000 years ago. And, and in the, or I mean, consider, you know, a half a million years, 12,000 years ago is pretty much nothing. But the world stayed that way for a long, you know, another couple thousand years, and then we invented the wheel, and then we invented the compass and a few other things. And you could take the last 500 years, and most of mankind's changes have occurred in that time period. Evolution doesn't move that fast. And all we've done really is raise the level of stressors that we can have most of which tend to be perceived. Right. There's no saber-toothed tiger, you know, exactly. the, the tried-and-true, you know, example that's exactly. actually going to eat me when I go to KPMG to work and come back exactly. or go shopping exactly. on the weekends. Honey, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's about as uh, dangerous as my life gets, right? <laughs> what does the guy do? You know, he freezes. Yeah. So, it's, or the boss says, come to my office. And right, it, right benign but your stress response happens and we don't discharge it oh. nothing happens we sit there in a chair and the boss says blah, 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 and he's talking about some problem he's got that's irrelevant to you and all you're doing is sweating and finally going oh this isn't about me thank god but you're still just sitting the nervous system says fight or flee that's the way we're built and we don't do either and we go back to our desk, and we're just, oh, God, that scared the crap out of me. So what you're trying to, and then you have to get your head around work. And the weird thing is that process just disconnected your prefrontal cortex. <laughs> your hearing, it, tun it tunnels your hearing. And so, you know, the boss could be saying things, and, you know, it's going, whoop, whoop, because this is offline, these are offline. You get back to your desk, and, and then a little while later, you catch yourself saying, what the hell did he say to me? I, you know, you don't remember because this is offline. This is deteriorating. And it's just like, well, it wasn't about me. I got that much. So I guess I'm okay. You know, wow. And we want people to go to school in those conditions and learn. We want them to come to work and be productive. Holy smokes. That ain't going to happen. So if we could deal with stress, imagine what we could do to education and productivity. Holy smokes. You know, Lucky, two things that, uh, that are really standing out for me in, in what you've just been talking about now. You know, one is the price of progress, right? When, when, when we change things, generally, we just see the benefits of it, right? But sometimes we can't even be aware of, of some of the negatives. And the other thing is, you know, when you were talking about work stress, I was like, you know, were you at work with me or something? Because that's exactly what happens. It's like, generally, you know, uh, something happens and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. And then your boss has a call. And, and it's, you know, 99.99% of the time, it's, it's all generated in your head. And like you said, you can't really respond as well because you you get the, the tunnel hearing and the tunnel vision. And it's just like this, this thing that we, we create for our, our, ourselves to, to make ourselves so anxious and our body holds it. And I think a lot of people experience this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And that's part of one of the reasons we want to retool the work box is, okay, business professionals, may, they may or may not have trauma. I really don't. At a certain point, that does not matter. But you need a tool to deal with that. You need to recognize that what just happened to you was the stress response system. It doesn't call for 
caffeine. It doesn't, you know, get up, walk to the end of the hall, do whatever you need to start moving around because that will allow some of that discharge of the fight flea energy that's in your legs. It'll start, start moving some of that breathing, get it back to being regular again, you know, just, and, and doing that breathing. That's, that's the first thing is getting your breath back. So breathe. So anyway, that's, yeah, it's, Oh, more people go through it and don't recognize it. And that's if they, and that's if they managed to wake up on time. So the alarm didn't wake them up and they realized they were late. Right. Then they skipped a meal. Then they got out on the highway and there's no, you know, they completely, you know, highway was clear. Traffic was good. No road rage, nothing stressing them on the highway and they get to work and everything, you know, no, by the time they get to where the boss says, come here, they could already have been stressed out four or five times. It's amazing that anyone's not stressed. The exactly way Exactly right. right. Exactly right. Because we, we, we've built this kind of castle, which is engineered to stress us the heck exactly. out, right? Exactly right. So, Lucky, let's take a look at an example in nature, uh, which I think applies a lot to your practice and what we've been talking about. Well, you there he is. Be quick with your up windows if you need to. This is awesome. Okay, don't, don't move, Danny. I'm videotaping. Oh, right. Sorry. Why is he so agitated? Mm. What can he be scared of? Nice digging, nice scratching. He's got indigestion. <laughs> Look. He's got ticks what on him. What the hell is that? He's having an epileptic fit. <laughs> what is he up to? He's shaking. Yeah. Look at him shake. He does look like he's eating something poisonous or odd, right? I've never seen that before. It does look mm-hmm. a bit Paul, can I move or not? No. He, he looks pretty... He looks like he might have been dying. Really? <laughs> so, Lecky, talk us through, uh, since folks didn't have the benefit of the video, talk us through a little bit what we saw here and, and what you what is going on. Well, there's... It's interesting. It, it says on the... The lead underneath the, you know, lion has a seizure after chasing the wildebeest. I'm going to presume that the wildebeest got away because <clears throat> he's not eating. And even in the predator-prey relationship, the one doing the chasing is stressing their body mm-hmm. as well as the one being chased. <clears throat> um, I see this when we're having some of our workouts and some people in class after class, uh, they'll say, oh, man, I'm shaking. And part of that is because the body's energy is such in high demand that the body is now needing to get rid of some of that. So it starts to tremor. And you notice they use the word shaking quite a bit. And there's a couple things that happen here with this animal. I mean, it, it circles around it's, and then lays itself down. And then it begins to move. And some of those movements could be interpreted as the running movements. And... Watching how the tail moves around is, you know, and I've, I'd love to see more 
of how a, a lion uses its tail as it's chasing a prey, my okay. guess is somewhat of a balance item for them. But anyway, and then it goes into this kind of like a freeze. And I don't think it was so much a freeze as every animal, including humans, have what they call the, there's the, the myofascial structure of the, our body. Every muscle is surrounded by it that permeates it. It's uh, so-called fascia. And it has its own network system in our body. And it's like if you cut open uh, a grapefruit and you have the rind and then there's that white stuff and then all that white stuff goes between each of the different sections. That right. white stuff is what they call fascia. And that's what is around all of our muscles. And that's what's, it just, it's everywhere in our body. So if I peel off the skin, that's the first thing I see, not muscle. And it has, it bands across the chest this way. So when I turn my body and I can feel it in my lower hip, I also feel it in my shoulder. That's not because my muscles are connected necessarily. Oh, that's, yeah. That's it's like, a, it's like a web or a network so, almost. That's right. So what that's doing is, the, there's a lot of electrical information that passes through there. There's chemical information that passes through there, and it's talking to this, and it's talking to this at the same time. So I feel it. And that's what I think that, that still motion was. He's, there's a lock there, and then he starts to, you know, does a little bit more moving, and then he lays down, and you notice his chest is going up and down. You know, he's getting his breathing back. And so he's got to re-enter the fray somehow because presumably chasing that animal for dinner. It's got to eat. On our website, we've got the video of the uh, gazelle and the, the cheetah's mouth. And that one has a kind of a broader range, a little bit closer to of the different types of movements that animals can go through because some of them, once they get really fine, we didn't see it because of the, the distance factor, is those tremors after the big ones can get real fine, mm. barely even visible. And with that gazelle one, you see a lot more of that. Anybody who owns a dog has seen this or felt it during a thunderstorm or the 4th of July. Just, I mean, it's so small from a distance you wouldn't see it, but if you're sitting right next to it, my neighbor's poodle does it every 4th of July, you know, and that's sometimes where I've had connections with firefighters and emergency responders. Do you own a dog? Okay, well, what happens, you know, in certain circumstances? Oh, yeah, they shake. That's mammalian. That's what all mammals are wired to do when they are either stressed physically or emotionally and or they've been under a – well, another example could be um, the, the, the Seahawk New England Patriots Super Bowl a couple of years ago where the Seahawks lost it on the last play because they went oh, for Oh, I remember, yeah. Everybody on the field was stressed. I'm sure everybody watching was stressed. Sure. But that's what they – instead of being fight-flight, that's what they call um, the, 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 the state of play. It's a state of the, the, the sympathetic nervous system and social engagement working together. Because there's, there was no, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they were going to whip out guns or knives and start killing each other because they had to eat. Nobody, right. they, you guys are, but still, you're playing for the last minute, last second of the last game, and it's all on us or it's all on them, and everybody in the crowd is going, oh, 
you know, everybody can feel that. But that's still a stressful experience. And I'm sure afterwards there were people not only in the stands but on the field who went through a period of shaking. And sometimes that just – you go through something, you just go <laughs> – and it's over that quick. But that's because the body still has that response and desire to get rid of that energy. And evolution seems to have built in this mechanism of tremoring. And that's what we saw with that particular lion. It did what it does by nature. Let, let me ask you for our audience, right, and those who may be dealing with high-stress situations or having trouble handling it, what are some things that, you know, obviously people need to get the medical attention they need first. What are some things that people can do to deal with it in a productive way? I obviously can't go into a conference room and start crying or, or shaking, you know, every time I get stressed out, right? So, like, from your perspective and what you've seen in your practice, like, what are some things that people can sort of integrate into their lives to not get to the point where something breaks before they deal with it? Exactly. What, in our – the way we're retooling our business offering is – that the first thing you need is either to, to stabilize the moment is breathing. Breathing. If, if you think you're stressed, you, there's a certain level of breathing because your, breath, your heart rate will go faster and your breathing gets shallower and quicker to accommodate for that. So the first thing you need to do is slow that down. And that's nice, quick, full inhale mm-hmm. and then extended exhale. And the way I do that is I don't, whether, the, how you get the air in is irrelevant, but I try to expand my stomach. And then purse my lips. Now I'm out. And I don't force anything out. Uh-huh. I just want the inhale to be longer because naturally, when I every time I inhale, my sympathetic nervous system gets activated, and every time I exhale, my parasympathetic nervous system gets activated. So it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. And when it gets turned on because of my brain perceiving a threat, everything goes faster and shallower. And I want to stop that. So... <gasps> Ah, short inhale, long exhale. And you can actually learn how to do that with anybody, with nobody noticing. So if you're sitting in a conference room, you just start making the one longer. Whether you purse your lips or not, there are benefits to that, but it's, it's not going to kill you if you don't. The next thing to do is to orient yourself. All right? What does that mean? What happens under stress, and depending on your background stuff, that's going to impact how you absorb what's going on around you. In other words, I'm going to make this about me. And it may not be about me. Uh... So once we begin to breathe right and bring ourselves back into the room, you orient yourself. And we used to, you know, when we, on the emergency field, when we get out with people, especially in car accidents, one thing we want to check with people is their level of consciousness. Who are you? Where are you? What day is today? That kind of thing. And so you can easily do, because, man, if you're stressed and you're sitting in a conference room, you might know you're in the conference room, but you might not even be able to tell where that building is. Yeah, because you're in here. That, yeah, well, this is going offline. You're, you're in your on, brain. Yep. You're counting on memory, and all of a sudden, so you, so you can start to orient yourself. Okay, this is today. This is my name. This is the and 
you know, okay, my office is down the hall that way. So you're orienting, you know, you're in the right room. And then there's a little bit of grounding that can occur. And that is, you know, what's going on with me emotionally, cognitively, and physically. Where, you know, physical is pretty simple. I just got stressed out. One of the other things I can do then is with the grounding, is this about me or not? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel the way I feel? I, and, uh, and one of our tools that we teach people is affect labeling, which means that, A, I have to know my emotions, and I have to know the range of my emotions, and B, labeling it helps take the gas out of it. Yes. When you give it, when you express it or give it a label, it, it, it dissipates exactly. some of that energy. Yeah, I believe that. And so that allows me then to quit feeding it for a minute. That's the thing with anxiety. I remember anxiety is pretty much fear and worry combined. Well, the worry is what you're feeding it. If you Mm. just let it be there and say, oh, wow, I'm really afraid. Just let it be there for a minute and a half. More than likely, it'll go away on its own. But we don't. We feed it. Uh, The worry is like gasoline. We're putting fuel on the fire. Exactly. And worry is just some kind of mental rumination we're doing and we're just putting it on the fire. That's exactly right. So, and all of this can be done while you're sitting here in your own chair. It's just say, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. And uh, okay, well, yeah, and you may be a scratch, feel those things down in your pad to look at later, but that helps bring you back to the here and now. And that's the important thing. Stress response is about a threat. I'm sorry, but nobody here has got a knife or a gun to me. This is, is this really a life threat? No. Might be a job threat. Might be something else. Might not even be about me. And the minute I realize it's not, I can go, <sighs> okay, cool. Now I can start to have a different response, which is more prevalent to what's actually going on in the meeting. Yes. That's powerful. When I show up as an emergency responder and I'm stressed out, how good am I for the patient who needs me? No good. Exactly right. Or I'm limited at the very least. So being able to have, and those are just stabilizing tools that I teach anybody just because those are the things that bring you back to the here and now. Later on when you, and I've seen, I had one client who tremored in their chair as we were talking via video and he said, what's this? And I just said, go for it, man. So you can do it in your chair. I, I've never had much success with that, but that's the thing is it's, if the body feels it and you're okay doing it, go ahead and do it or wait till you get home and then do it. That to me is a capacity resilience building tool. And that combination of tools over time raises your resilience so that when you walk into those things, it's not what's, you know, because initially you walk in, somebody says something, you get stressed out. You walk in, somebody says something later on, well, then they say something and they say something. And, you know, it's not stressing you out because your nervous system has got more capacity because of using these tools, Mm -hmm. which need to be practiced when you're not stressed. Training training (laughs) because as you and I both know if you don't practice something and you show up on the mats to do it no (laughs) exactly right ain't gonna happen man that's the sensei looks at you like what's up what do what's what are you doing here (laughs) lucky 
It's been a real eye-opening experience talking to you and learning more about PTSD and trauma healing. Is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share or, or contact information that you'd like to share with the audience in case they'd like to learn more? Well, our business is Raise Your Resilience. And you can Raise Your Resilience. RaiseYourResilience.com. Okay. Um, our, the stuff we're working on now isn't on that site yet because we're still, we're going to get it all hammered out so that it all works right when we put it on the website. But you can reach me at Lecky at Raise Your Resilience. Any questions, if you want to set something up. Because one of the things we are working on is being able to apply this to people in different situations. You're really highly, I mean, people who are going to work are what I would call functional. But I've met people who are functional and traumatized at the same time. Wow. And yeah, because once they get away from work, what do they do? They isolate and or they start escaping into something because they can't quite handle. Um, and then there are people who aren't functional and they need to stabilize first. So in terms of stabilizing, as we just discussed, you know, you've got a conference room section. OK, you just need to stabilize in the moment. Some people need to stabilize over a period of a month or two just so they can function and start to function. Uh, so there's, we're creating a kind of a different set of tools for different people in different situations, even though they are pretty much the same tools. They're all pretty much do-it-yourself, which we think has its advantages. Uh, when you're in the conference room, you know, you can't just, you know, call your therapist and say, well, I'm really stressed out, you know, can I, you know, because everybody else in the room is going to be saying, <laughs> what's going on over there? <laughs> so... It's pretty much do-it-yourself, but things you can do in the moment as well as at home. Um, and where I'm starting to, in my own life anyway, I'm starting to take this into my Krav Maga because part of it is I have, if I'm in a violent confrontation, it's the same stress response as the guy sitting in his desk and the boss says, come here. Right. And people need to understand that same Similarly, that their neurology is going to be activated. You need to train to get past that to make it an instinct. So, and the same thing with tools that I teach people, you need to practice them when you're not stressed so that it becomes an instinct to do it when you are. That is because such a great point. When you're stressed is when you need the tool the most. Yeah, yeah. And then as you build capacity, you will find that less stresses you. Lucky at Raise Your Resilience, and I'll be glad to help people out. I may be one of your first clients. <laughs> Thank you, Lucky, for sharing your insights on why it works. You're welcome. It has been a pleasure, Joe, and it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. A great audiobook to go with this podcast is Defiant. A Broken Body is Not a Broken Person by Janine Shepard. To receive a free copy or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash whyitworks. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash whyitworks for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. 
That's www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe Coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.